And I remember years ago, wasn't, wasn't to me, I, I've gotten a lot of strange things from people in churches, emails and letters and notes, but this wasn't one that came to me, but it was a, a friend of mine, a guy I know who's a pastor, and after his sermon that next week, he got a, a, a note handed to him. I don't remember if it came in the mail, but somehow it came into his possession. And, and it was loving and gracious. It said, why won't you just focus on love, you judgmental blankety blank, blank, blank. And I thought, well, that is loving and gracious and kind. I won't share the words that were written. You could fill in the blankety blank, blank, blanks. But, but that kind of idea, that sentiment, uh, you can see that all over the internet, social media. Uh, if you take a stand in any way, especially a moral stand, you're, you're hating. Jesus told you not to judge. You know, why can't you just love people? You take a stand morally and you say, I believe that marriage is defined as a lifetime covenant commitment between one man and one woman. You can be attacked. You can be attacked if you say, I believe that gender is established at birth. And when you're born, your gender is established and there's two genders. You can be attacked. Why can't you just love people? Why are you judging? And so we have this rampant in our society but what makes me scratch my head sometimes is like the, the note that my friend got. Why can't you just be loving you, blankety, blank, 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 blank? It fails to acknowledge that the person who wrote the note isn't being loving. They're being judgmental. They're, being, they're, they're angry and attacking. And so we want that, that idea of love to be demonstrated usward, but it's okay for us to demonstrate anger and hostility towards other people, and we can be as guilty of it as anyone else. And so in this series that we're in called Trending, what we're doing is we're looking at popular ideas and culture in, uh, on the internet, on social media that kind of grab the social consciousness. And, and they sound good, and they sound noble, and they sound right. And often they have a lot of truth to them. But as we've learned, the best lies are almost all true. They're, they're 60, 70, 80, 90% true, but they have a lie because that, that makes the lie easier to swallow, easier to accept, easier to agree to. And so what we're endeavoring to do in this series is look at those ideas and compare them and contrast them to the truth of God's word, which is timeless, which is tested, and say, what is good about this statement? We can stand with that. What is wrong with that statement that we need to reject? Because we need our feet firmly planted on the truth of God's word. That has to be our immovable anchor. Because Jesus said this. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The word of God is our truth. And so we started out this series. We looked at um, a very popular idea that's out there that says, live your truth. Live your truth. But what we learned is this, you cannot live your truth. You must live based on the truth, based on the word of God. And then we looked at the idea that self-care is the best type of health care, that you have to take care of yourself first. You have to prioritize yourself. And what we learned was this, if you truly want to care for yourself, you have to learn how to take your eyes off of yourself. That you have to, the best way to care for yourself is to live, to live the way that God created you to live, the way your creator designed you to live. And that's about living a life of service and sacrifice. And then last week, Pastor Aaron did a great job. He talked about the, the idea that's out there. Uh, you only live once, YOLO, you only live once. And what we discovered was this, you only do live once. So live for God's purpose, not your pleasure. 
Live for God. Yes, you only live once. But oftentimes when people say YOLO, it's like, man, so just live it up. Do what you want. Make yourself feel good. You only get one shot at life, so make it count. Yeah, you only get one shot at life, so live the way God planned and purposed for your life. Don't just live for your own selfish desires. So this morning, we're going to look at the idea that if you want to change me, you don't really love me. That if somehow you want me to be different, to be changed, to be transformed, then you don't really love me. Now, there is some great truth to that. There is some things in in that statement that we ought to uh, grab hold of and embrace. Because if we're talking about externals, if you just lost more weight, if you just were a little taller, if you just were a little smarter, if you had more ambition, if you earned more money, if you were this, if you were that, I would love you more, I would love you better, you'd be worthy of my love. When you start basing those things, if you had different uh, likes, if you had different uh, preferences to things, like, man, if you just liked pepperoni pizza instead of mushroom pizza, then you'd be acceptable to me. Um, You would be. Um, (laughs) What we do with those kind of things is we are at, at best not loving someone well, but at worst, we're really not loving them at all. Because what we're doing is we are making our love conditional on external things. And we're saying, if you are gonna ever be worthy of my love, then you have to act a certain way. You have to become a certain thing in order to be worthy of my love. Uh, So there's an old song, uh, you may be familiar with it, it's by Billy Joel. It says, I love you just the way you are. And that idea, you know, don't, don't change your color of your hair. You don't have to change it. I love you just the way you are. There is something good about that. It doesn't matter if it, it, those external things. I, I just love you. Now, there's a problem with that song, and here's the problem with the song. You're 30 years old, and you say that to your wife or to your husband, I love you just the way you are. Don't go changing. The problem is we all change. And what she looked like at 30 and what she looks like when she's mature, you can define mature any way you want. I may have been born at night. It wasn't last night. Um, Well, she's changed. And you say, I love you just the way you are. I don't love the way you are now. Well, that doesn't work. And guys, it's just as bad for you. You used to have hair. (laughs) Now you got this. Um, No, so, uh, but we don't love conditionally based on those externals. We're called to love. What about internals? What about lifestyle choices? What about uh, behaviors? What about those kind of things? Well, we're still called to love. We're still called to love. Doesn't matter. But does that mean that we can't expect, want, desire, or hope for someone to change? See, part of the problem is we've, we've kind of changed how we view love. Love used to carry with it this idea that somehow or other, I love you with your flaws, your mistakes, your limitations, the things I don't like, the way I, you know, if I could change those things, I would, but I'm not gonna try and change those things. I'm just gonna love you. But I also love you enough to say, I want you to change, to grow, to live above the level of mediocrity, to become and step into all that God created you to be, to walk in the greatness and the potential that's within you. I love you enough to say, I want more for you. But we've taken that part out of love. Now it's just love me in whatever state I am and don't ever expect anything more from me. Because if you love me, you wouldn't want that for me. But that's not love. Love says, I want the best for you. So I I read this book. This is where I kind of got the whole idea of 
um, you know, if, if you want me to change, you don't love me. It's, it's, uh, it's from a passage in a book by uh, Glennon Doyle called, uh, the name of the book is Untamed. And in this book, in this passage I'm about to read, the quote I'm about to read, she is responding to a woman in her uh, former, uh, a church in her form, a woman from her former church. That's exactly what I meant. Um, <laughs> and uh, so she, does, Glennon didn't, uh, no longer attended the church there, uh, but this woman was a, a friend of hers. You know, they, they knew each other. And, and, she, and this woman was deeply troubled and, and because Glennon had decided to, to divorce her husband and marry a woman. And, and so she said, I, I want to continue to love you. I want to continue to connect with you. I want to love you the right way. But I feel like in order to love you, I would somehow have to compromise my beliefs. I'm struggling with this. And so Glennon responded, and this is what her response was. She said, thank you for, landing on, I, for not landing on I love you but... Because love has no buts. Now, let me just stop right there. That, that is patently untrue. Love has plenty of buts, and it ought to have buts. I love you, but if you continue to be abusive, I can't stay in this relationship. I love you, but if you continue with these behaviors, I can't stay in this environment. I love you, but you're hurting and harming people that I know and love and care about, and so I can't stay in proximity, but I still love you. Love has plenty of buts, and it ought to have buts. And then she goes on and says, if you want to change me, you do not love me. If you feel warm toward me, but also believe I'm going to burn in hell, you do not love me. If you wish me well, but vote against my family being protected by the law, you do not love me. To love me as yourself means to want for me and my family every good thing you want for yourself and your family. Anything less than that is less than love. Now, there is part of that statement that it's positive, it's persuasive. I mean, who doesn't want love to be inclusive and tolerant and kind and accepting of everyone? But here's the thing, that statement is very, very, very passive aggressive. It shames, it demeans, and it forces the person to say, you have to accept this because there's a problem with you if you don't. It's very totalitarian. It's an all or nothing. You either 100% accept me and agree with me politically, morally, and religiously, or you can't, you can't possibly love me. It's not even a possibility. It's not that you choose not to. You, it's not even possible. The, the problem is, then that means love is, is limited to those who agree. Right? Think now. Glennon is saying, I want you to change so that you can love me, which means she doesn't love her which means the only person you can actually love is someone who agrees with you 100% in every area, which makes love very selfish because I know of no one that agrees with me 100% of the time except me, which means I can only love myself. And here's the problem. Sometimes tomorrow I wake up and go, I don't even agree with what I said yesterday. So I don't even know if I can love myself, which makes love impossible. It makes love limited. And if we follow that to its logical conclusion, you have to 100% accept any lifestyle, any choices, any decisions somebody makes in order to properly love them. That will lead to a very, very, very dark place very, very, very quickly. Because you can imagine and you could fill in some of the things that would have to be accepted and looked at as okay in order for me to love this person at all. That's not what love is. If that's love, you know who the most unloving person to ever walk the face of the earth is? Jesus. Because Jesus constantly would point out to people things that they needed to change. Listen, he loved people. He loved the religious leaders and he loved the, the non-religious, the sinners. 
He loved those in power and he loved those who were poor. But he drove the religious leaders crazy and the sinners loved him, but they didn't understand him. Jesus loved everybody, but he has this one encounter. It's an amazing encounter. He's talking to this young guy and, and this young guy had lived a great life. I mean, a really good life. He'd followed the rules. He'd, and, and, and this guy says to Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life? And Jesus says, you've done just about everything you need to do. But, you know, there's one thing. There's one thing that needs to change. There's something that you've put before me, before your love for God. And that's your possessions. That's your stuff. So here's what you need to do. You need to take everything that you have. You need to sell it and give it to the poor. And then the, in Mark, it's Jesus, it says, Jesus looked at the young man with love. And like he loved him deeply. Doesn't say he loved him deeply because he took everything and sold it and gave it to the poor. It says he loved him. As a matter of fact, what it says after that is the young man refused to do it. And he walked away sad. Jesus loved him even though he didn't change. But Jesus loved him enough to want to see him change. So there's another uh, story that reflects this in the life of Jesus. It's recorded in the Gospel of John. Um, and, uh, and, and so Jesus is teaching one day, and there's this uh, group of religious leaders, and they want to kind of paint Jesus in a bad light. And so they endeavor to, to kind of trip him up on something. And here's what it says in John chapter 8. It says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law commands us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this, to, this question as a trap in order to have a basis of accusing him. So it's, it's, they don't even care about this woman. She's just a prop to them. Jesus bent down, started writing in the dirt with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he stood up and said to them, let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. Listen, any of you who have kept the law perfectly, you've not violated it at all. I mean, you haven't, listen, not, okay, you, you haven't stolen, fine. You haven't committed adultery, great. You haven't uh, uh, you know, defrauded anyone, but you haven't even coveted, you haven't even wanted something that didn't belong to you. If you've kept it perfectly, then go ahead, kill her. Go ahead. Again, he bent down and started writing in the sand. At this, those who had heard him began one at a time to go away. The oldest first until only Jesus was left with a woman standing there. So Jesus stood again, looked at her and said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Jesus loved this woman. He poured out compassion upon her and he says, now change be different. I love you. I am gracious to you. I forgive you. I will pour mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon you. I want you to understand that in order for you to live the life that you want to live, that you were created to live, that you were designed to live, though, it's going to require something. See, I want to meet the deepest desires and the, the heartfelt longings that are inside of you. And the only way those are going to be met is to come to a point where you say, I have to be different. Don't live like this anymore. Yes, you'll feel loved for the moment. You'll feel safe in, in, for a few moments. But afterward, you're going to be left empty and wanting. And I want more for you than that. So let, yes, I love you. Yes, I love you unconditionally. Let, yes, I love you even if you go back to this lifestyle of sin. But you don't have to. Let my love compel you to change. Let my love be that thing that says, I want to be different. 
That's the whole point Jesus taught and modeled over and over and over again, that we're to love people even, not because they change, but before they change. And if they don't change, but our love ought to challenge them to change. See, love doesn't just let anything go. Love doesn't just say, hey, you know, I love you. I forgive you. Now keep on living in this life that's not good for you. It's damaging. It's hurtful. It's wounding. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help anybody else. All it's going to do is drag you down and drag others down and, and, and cause all kind of havoc in life and in families. He says, no, I love you enough that I want you to be different. That's what Jesus modeled over and over and over and over and over again. That we are to love people as they are, not because they've changed. We love them as they are, but our love ought to challenge them to be changed. So Paul, uh, who was one of the apostles, he's writing now years later, but he's picking up on this idea. He knows this exchange that Jesus happened with this, that Jesus had happened with this woman. And he's writing to Christians who are in a city called Ephesus. And, and he's trying to help them to understand what does it mean to live as a fully devoted, on-fire uh, follower of Jesus. Someone who says, this is what it means to live completely sold out for Jesus. And so he says, listen, th there are groups of people out there that you can't live like. He calls them Gentiles. It means they are not saved. They're not, they're, they haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ. They're not saved. They're not born again. Um, and they're not Jewish. They have no Jewish ancestry. They're Gentiles. And he says, now listen, that group of people, they, they live on all kind of disarray. And their lives are, are a mess and they're making a, a, a mess of things. They're just wreaking havoc in, in their families and in their communities. You can't live like them. You're called to live different. And this is what he writes to the Ephesians. He says, that's not what you were taught about Jesus Christ. He is the truth. You heard about him and learned about him. You were told that your foolish desires will destroy you and that you must give up your old way of life. You have to be different because of the love of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, be different and then I'll love you. Jesus says, I love you and I'll be different. Give up your old way of life, all its bad habits. Let the spirit change your way of thinking and make you into a new person. By the way, doesn't mean it's you doing it. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to change you from the inside out. You were created to be like God. So what does this mean? Jesus says to this woman caught in adultery, he says to this rich young ruler, he says, I want you to change. I want you, I want you to step into all I've planned and purposed for your life. I have something more for you. Paul writes to the Ephesians, listen, there is something better than living just the way you always have lived. I love you. I care about you. I've preached the gospel to you. I've invested my life in you. I've spent years with you. But there's something more and there's something better and I want that for you. What it means is this. Love accepts people as they are, yet it expects people to become who they were created to be. You were created to be like God. So stop settling for this. There's something more. There's something better. There's something greater. Love doesn't say, I don't want you to change. Real love says, I want nothing more for you to, than to, for you to change and to become who God created you to be. I love you enough to say, I want you to be different. I, I'm reminded of the song, Can You Feel the Love Tonight from The Lion King. There's, there's one line in it, and I love it. The, the, the princess is singing in, to Simba, and she says, why can't why won't he be the king I know he is, the king I see inside? 
We ought to look at other people. There's greatness in you. There's so much potential in you. You are living so far below what God has created you to be. And I love you enough to say, I want to help you step into that. I don't want you to settle. I don't want you to, I don't want you to miss out. Oh God, I love you that much. Please be different, be changed. But they refuse to be different and be changed. And so you know what you do? You keep loving them. If they don't change, you keep loving them. God doesn't stop loving us because we don't change. He keeps loving us. See, that's where we get it wrong. We think, I love them, they'll change. If they don't change, I don't have to love them anymore. No, we keep loving. We keep being gracious. We continue to be compassionate. The Bible talks about love so much. One of the most well-known passages on love is what's called the love chapter. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And, uh, and it talks all about love, and Paul's writing to the Christians in Corinth, and he's explaining what love is. And it starts, and it's in, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but it starts, it's incredible. He says, love is paramount. Love is one of the most important things that we can have. As a matter of fact, he says, listen, you can possess vast amount of knowledge. You can even have prophetic wisdom and insight into things. He says, you could be so committed to a cause that you would die for it. You could have unwavering faith so much so that you could speak to a mountain and it would move. If you have all of those things, knowledge, prophecy, your, your commitment, faith, but you don't have love, you know what you have? Nothing. You've fallen short because love is that important. Love is critical. So we have to be compelled by love, but how do we do that? Then he goes on and begins to define what love is. And this is what he says. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Now that first verse, verse four, I like that. Love is patient, kind. Not envy, doesn't boast, not arrogant. I could get down with that. Verse five gets a little, you know, gets under my skin a little bit. Because then what it says, love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Love does not insist on its own way. If you don't embrace my way of living, if you don't validate my lifestyle, if you don't share my religious views, if you don't live the way I think you should live, then I don't have to love you. No, love doesn't insist on that. So if they are politically left of you or right of you, you're still called to love them. If their lifestyle doesn't line up with the Bible, you're still to love them. It doesn't insist on its own way. But they, there's no, no, no. There is a truth. Love has no buts. So in that sense, it's right. You say, I'm not going to insist that you change all these things in order for me to love you. I am simply called to love you. But it doesn't end there. Then it goes on and says, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but love rejoices with the truth. So what does that mean? That means I can love you even if you don't align with me in this lifestyle, if you're living in sin in some way, if something is off in your life, I can still love you. But you know what I can't do? I can't rejoice in that. I can't celebrate it. I can't embrace it. I can't call what's evil good. What I have to do is say, I love you, but this isn't what God has called us to. I love you. I can't just celebrate. I can't just say anything goes because I love you. I can't rejoice in wrongdoing. I have to rejoice in truth. When someone's life, when someone's beliefs line up with the word of God, then I can celebrate. Then I can rejoice. Then I can lift my hands up and say, wow, isn't God good? But in the meantime, I can love you even in the state you're in. But I can't embrace that and I can't celebrate it. 
So that's what we're called to do, to love everyone as they are, accept them as they are, but expect them to change. So in order to truly understand love, we need to understand God, because in 1 John, it tells us God is love. So if we're going to truly understand love, it means we have to understand, we have to define love by the nature and character of God. See, if we define love for ourselves and say, this is what love is, then in essence, what we've done, because the Bible tells us God is love, is now we're defining who God is. So in order to understand love, we have to understand the nature and character of God and see who God is, how he behaves, how he acts, and say, that now is what love looks like. We have to base our understanding of love on who God is, not base God on our understanding of love. And so how does God love us? What's God's love look like? Us word. Well, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, John 3, 16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Love gives, love offers. Love says, I, I know you haven't asked for my love, I know you don't desire my love. I know you're not looking for my love, but I love you. You haven't changed. You may not change, but I'm still gonna send my son to die for you. I believe this with my whole heart. If God looked at human history and knew not one person would ever accept Jesus, he still would have sent Jesus because his love wasn't gonna be based on will they accept it? His love was based on his love, which means we have to love like that. But they don't change. Okay, love them anyway. Romans says this, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we didn't, another passage says, while we were still enemies of God, he sent his son to die. Not because we changed, but because he loves us. Stop demanding people to change. Love them and believe that they can change. Love them to change. Love them to the point where you say, I want more for you than this. But don't make your love for them conditional on them changing. And then this is what it says in Roman, uh, in 1 Corinthians 6. It says, some of you used to be like this, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Again, it's the work of the Holy Spirit changing us. But what does it say? It says, you used to be like this. God loved you. You hadn't changed. Now his love inside of you has done what? Changed you washed you, sanctified you. That's all it means. It means he's changed you. God loves you enough to say, I know the state of your sin. I know the state of your life. I love you anyway, but I love you so much that when you enter into a relationship with me, I don't want you to stay the same. And we're called to love that same way. It feels like a tension, right? Almost like they're diametrically opposed. I have to love someone no matter what, but I have to want them to change. But God has called us to walk in that tension because we can, because we can love the same way our Heavenly Father loves us, who looked and said, I know what you've done, but I love you. I love you so much that I'm gonna come in the flesh and die a horrible death for you. And you may never accept that, but I'm gonna do it anyway, because I love you. I didn't do it because you change. I did it regardless if you change. But this is what I want for you so very bad, is that you will accept that love, and that love will compel you to change. 
And so when we are in life with other people, we look at them and we should say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I know you've messed up, but I love you. I know you've made mistakes, but I love you. Now, again, there are times you have to say, I love you, but I can't stay here. I love you, but I can't be in this. I love you, but I can't stay in your insanity. That doesn't mean you don't love them. It means you love them enough to see them to want to be different. See, you and I, you are called to love people as they are yet love them enough to want them to change. And that tension is what changes things. Because what it does is it says, you are worthy of my love, but there is more in you. And I want the best for you. See, loving someone and letting them stay where they are isn't really loving them. It's saying, you know what? I love you, but I don't really care about seeing your life radically transformed. But loving someone and saying, I see where your life is, and I'm going to come alongside you in all the mess and all the ick and all the ugh and all the stuff and say, I'm going to walk alongside you. I'm going to keep loving you when you've made a mistake and another mistake and another mistake. I'm going to wrap my arms around you and say, we can do this. God can do this. God can help you. God can change you. You don't throw your hands up and say, well, you know what? You're not willing to change. I can't love you. That's not love. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. God, I ask you by your Holy Spirit, would you speak to us at the deep part of who we are? God, some of us right now, we know we've not loved well. There are people that we have rejected, not because we've had to put distance, protect ourselves, but we've just cut off. God, forgive us. Help us to love when our views don't align. Help us to love when, our life, when their lifestyle doesn't mesh with what I think. When their political views aren't in step with my political views. God, help us to love. But God, help us also to realize we have to love them enough to want them to change. And that means laboring alongside them, walking with them, linking arm in arm, never giving up, saying, I'm here for you here for you. I love you. Don't live like this. Let God do something. Help us, God, by your grace to walk in that tension because we can't do it on our own. Our world says it's all or nothing. You say it's both. So help us, God, by your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to sing a couple songs continue to celebrate who God is, his grace in our lives, his goodness. But here's what I want to invite you to do. We're going to have some prayer teams up here. And, uh, and maybe you need prayer about something we talked about this morning. You know you've struggled with loving some people and it's been hard. And you say, God, I need help. Let them pray with you. Let them join their faith with your faith and allow God to do something great. Maybe you're something completely different than what we talked about this morning. You're struggling in a relationship. You're struggling with a physical illness. You're, you're struggling with finances or a job situation. Whatever it might be, I want to invite you. Come forward. Let these folks pray with you. Let God move in this moment into that situation and see what he wants to do.